You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on the second Sunday of Easter, May 28, 2019. A reading from the Gospel of John. On the evening of that day, The first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, all I have to say is, poor Thomas. I mean, he was away when Jesus came and appeared to the disciples that evening of the resurrection. And he was not willing to believe until he actually saw Jesus for himself. I mean, who among us hasn't said, I'll believe it when I see it, right? Right, and yet he gets this reputation as being not Thomas, the twin, which is what he's referred to as in the scriptures, not Thomas the apostle, not Thomas who brought the gospel to India, but doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas. And it's not really a fair designation, isn't it? I mean, think about the other disciples. Just that same morning, because this is the evening of the resurrection, just that same morning, we read in the gospel of Luke that the women went to uh, to you know, wash Jesus' body, prepare it with spices. They see the tomb open and empty, and they run to the disciples, and they tell them what they've seen. And what the Gospel of Luke records is that the apostles didn't believe them because it seemed to them an idle tale. So just that same morning, all of these other apostles didn't believe at, the, at hearing the news of the resurrection from some among their company. And so then Thomas gets this reputation for disbelief 
even though he's just in the same boat as everybody else, he just hadn't had the benefit of seeing yet. When the gospel begins today, it tells us that the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. All of the apostles were paralyzed with fear. In fact, you might think Thomas was the bold one because he was the one that was out in the world somewhere. We don't know where he was. Maybe he was getting lunch. Maybe he was picking up bread for supper. Who knows? But he was out and everybody else was locked inside for fear of the Jews. It's just not a fair designation. And in fact, we might call him faith-filled Thomas because he is the very first one to declare Jesus not just as the Son of God, not just as the Christ, the Messiah, but as God. He says when he realizes who Jesus is, my Lord and my God. So Thomas has faith. The other apostles have faith. But this humble beginning, I think, is an encouragement to us. But before we get there, we want to do a little bit of Greek. Now, in the Greek language, there is a word, and it comes in a, in a noun form, an adjectival form, and in a verb form. But the basic word is pistis. And the word pistis is what we would translate as faith. But it also has other shades of meaning. It also means trust. It also means believe. And it also means obey. So that's a pretty powerful word. And it puts more power on the word faith than what we sometimes give to the word faith in our culture today. Faith is not just to believe that something is true. It means to stake your life on it. Believe, trust, obey. One commentator on this word says, pistis is saving acceptance of Christ's work as proclaimed in the gospel. And this includes believing, obeying, trusting, hoping, and being faithful. When we look in the book of Hebrews, we have that wonderful definition of faith that I, I think Mother Carrie shared with us a few weeks back. I know it's some of your favorite verse, uh, so let's read it. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then it goes on to talk about an example of faith, which is the creation of the world. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Who believes here that God made everything? Yeah, basic Christian belief. Who saw God make everything? None of you? And yet you believe it. That's an example of faith because we believe, we trust that God is the author of creation, the one who made everything that is. We even stake our lives on that because we will, we will defend that uh, as Christians. We really truly believe that God is the author of life, the one who made all things. And yet none of us actually saw that take place. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Things hoped for are things that haven't happened yet. It's the conviction of things not seen, things that we can't observe with our eyes or touch with our hands or taste with our tongues. It's not really faith if you're staring at a concrete reality like Thomas experiencing the wounds of Jesus. That's not really faith. He can touch it. He can 
see it, he can sense it. Faith is when we have that hope in things that aren't seen. That conviction, that trust in things that aren't concrete realities, but to us they are concrete realities because that's the kind of faith we have in them. Many of you, I'm sure, are aware of the attacks that happened in Sri Lanka last week on Easter Sunday. A number of churches were attacked uh, with suicide bombers. It was Islamic terrorism attacking these Christian churches. Some of them were Anglican churches. I have a a friend from Sri Lanka, uh, and thankfully none of his family was harmed in those attacks, but some of their churches were harmed. One example that comes to us from the attacks last week is that during Sunday school with the children, just before the weekly service, this was in a a congregation called Zion, the Sunday school teacher was commenting about uh, another act of terrorism that had happened just a few weeks earlier and how six children had died in a car crash. Uh, Somebody had plowed into them with a car. And so the point of this Sunday school lesson that day was to ask the children, would you be willing to die for the sake of Jesus? And all the children in that Sunday school class raised their hand and said, yes, I would be. And they all lit a candle as a symbol of their desire uh, to live a life that was willing to die for Jesus. And then they left their Sunday school room on the way to church, and half of them died like that in a suicide bomb. That's faith. Little children willing to die for their faith. One Sri Lankan pastor said, we are hurt. We are angry also, as I'm sure many of you would be if that happened here in our church. But still, as the senior pastor, the whole congregation and every family affected, we say to the suicide bomber and also to the group that sent the suicide bomber, we love you and we forgive you. No matter what you have done to us, we love you because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's faith. Being willing to forgive in the face of persecution, in the face of tremendous disaster, in the face of dead loved ones, to say, I forgive you, and I even love you, Not in my own strength, but because I have faith in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. When we go back to the Gospel of John, back to Thomas and his faith, when Thomas declares, my Lord and my God, Jesus responds to him saying, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, who are those people? That's us. That's right. That's everyone who has believed since that first century, since that first generation of apostles, since Thomas declared faith in Jesus Christ, since Jesus' ascension. There's a whole generation of people who have not, not just one generation, thousands of, hundreds of generations anyway, of people who have had faith in Jesus Christ and yet have not actually seen him, have not had the experience of Thomas to, to stick his fingers in the holes where the nails were, to stick his hand in Jesus' side, to give Jesus an actual hug with a physical body. 
We don't get to have that experience because we weren't first century disciples. But we believe in Jesus on the witness of what those disciples have handed down to us in the scriptures and in their testimonies. We are those people. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe, Jesus says. The Gospel of John itself was intended as a tool for evangelism to lead people to Christ. In fact, all of the Gospels are tools for that. That's why we call the four Gospel writers the four evangelists, because their goal, their mission, was to write down the things that Jesus did and said so that they had a a written, documented uh, testimony to share with people who were coming to faith in Christ, who hadn't had the benefit of knowing Jesus physically in that first century passing the faith on to a next generation. And so what John says at the end of of this testimony of Thomas is that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. Can you imagine if everything Jesus did was written in this book? We'd need more than this book. We'd need a lot of books. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's that same word again. Pistis, pistuo, pistos. Faith, trust, obey. It happens over and over and over again in this passage. In fact, it happens over and over and over again in the Gospel of John. It's a major theme in the Gospel of John. Believe, trust, obey. This story about fearful disciples is intended as an encouragement for us. The gospel writers could have told lots of stories about the heroic acts of the apostles. And in some ways, the the book of Acts is sort of like that, although it also documents many of their mistakes. The gospels in particular document lots of the disciples' mistakes, their fumbles, their foibles, including that of doubting Thomas but it was written down for us as an encouragement for our own faith so that our faith may be built up. John wanted to encourage the next generation of disciples in their faith even though they hadn't had a direct experience of Jesus, a physical experience of Jesus. Faith begins with a belief in the mind and in the heart, but it should extend into action in our lives. If we believe that God heals people today, then we should be quick to pray for the, the sick and expect things to happen. We don't necessarily know what's going to happen. God is in charge. But we can expect that when we pray for people, things will happen. We can expect that when we cast out demons, they will go away. We can expect that when God calls us to do something, he'll give us everything we need to accomplish it. That's faith. Remember that the word pistis means faith, but also trust and obey. And so when we believe in our hearts and our minds, we need to rely on that in a way that drives us out into the world to take action. If we have faith, it should make a difference in how we live. Many years ago, I was on a a junior high youth trip to a a ropes course. We were doing low ropes, not high ropes with the the harness and all that stuff. But we began the the ropes course with one of those trust falls. And they had, you know, these these logs 
that were half buried in the ground and you would stand on the log and then the people in your group would stand behind you and they would sort of weave their arms together in a way that was nice and secure and then you would fall safely into their arms because you would trust them. And it takes a lot of faith to stand on top of that log and fall backwards and trust that you're not going to hit the ground, right? Now, I'm not a small person. I'm, I'm six foot two, I weigh about 200 pounds. I did back then too. And this youth group was made up mostly of sweet, small, junior high girls. Nothing wrong with girls, girls are very strong. I just, I'm not so sure that these girls were, you know, had the muscle power necessary for me, but they wanted me to do this. We had caught a number of them, they wanted me to participate too, so I climbed up, not, not on level one, not on level two, I climbed up on level three because I wanted to show them the faith I had in them. And I put my arms across my chest like this, I started to lean back, and then I hit the ground. I went right through their arms and hit the ground. I, I didn't actually believe that they could do it, and in fact, they couldn't do it. <laughs> that was a case of, of uh, faithlessness that was maybe well-founded, but I trusted that God would watch over me and protect me, whatever happened. Maybe he would allow me to be caught by these girls. Maybe he would allow me to hit the ground safely without breaking my back or whatnot, uh, but he did. He brought me safely through that situation. And sometimes when we go out into the world to act on this faith, it's not going to turn out the way we expect it to. Sometimes it will result in harm. The faith of those students in Sri Lanka was a deep faith, a trusting faith, but it resulted in the end of their earthly lives. And that's okay, because our faith is in Jesus Christ. Our faith is in his resurrection. Our faith is that he has trampled down death by death, and he gives life to those in the tomb. And so we trust that whatever we have in this world is nothing compared to the glory that is yet to be revealed. So death for us is victory. Death for us is gain because we go to be with the Lord when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we trust him, when we obey him, when we give him our very lives. We see a demonstration of the faith of the apostles in what we read in the book of Acts today. Peter and the apostles were healing people left and right and multitudes of men and women were coming to the faith. Multitudes. How many is a multitude? It's so many you can't count them. That's how many people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ because of what they were witnessing in the healings of the apostles and also in the testimony of the apostles. And the high priest had the apostles arrested because he was jealous of them. Who else was the high priest jealous of and had arrested? Jesus himself. They were walking in Jesus' footsteps. And so the high priest has them arrested, puts them in prison. But prison is nothing to a Christian. The angel of the Lord comes and opens the door of the prison, and the disciples just walk out. And what the angel of the Lord tells them is that they should go back to the temple. Go back to the temple and tell people about Jesus. Preach about this life that you have found in Jesus. 
And what does it tell us in the scriptures? It says, the angel says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to preach. They were quick to obey. Now, I don't know about you, but if you were just thrown in prison for preaching Jesus, it might temper your uh, desire to go back and do the same thing again. That's what the high priest had hoped, I'm sure, is that by putting these people in prison, he would squelch their ability to preach. He would cause fear in their lives. But there was no such fear in these apostles, or if there was, they weren't willing to let it hold them back. They go right back to the temple and they start preaching again. There were risks, certainly, but they were willing to endure those risks for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of obeying Jesus Christ by the word of that angel. And when questioned again by the high priest about why they were disobeying his orders, I ordered you not to speak in this name, is what the high priest said. They respond to the high priest by saying, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. Now again, this man has a lot of power, the high priest. He has the power to put them in prison. He has the power to punish them severely. But in the face of that power, they're willing to stand up and say, we must obey God rather than men. That's faith. And they continue to preach in the name of Jesus. That's faith. What does the high priest do? We didn't read about this, but when we read a little further, he has them beaten and then he releases them. And after they're beaten, this is what it says about them. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that, Christ, that, that Jesus is the Christ. They had been beaten. They had been thrown into prison. It didn't keep them down. It didn't stop them. In fact, they rejoiced at their sufferings because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And ultimately, we know that all of the apostles, except for John, died a martyr's death in various different places, some in Rome, some in other places. We think Thomas went to India, but all of them, except for John, died the death of a martyr, witnessing, that's what martyr means after all, witnessing, even in the face of death, to the name of Jesus Christ. And Tertullian tells us that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The church rapidly grew and expanded because these people were willing to even die for their faith. Our faith should inspire passion. It should, cease, it should cause us to walk out the doors of this church each week with eyes of expectation, looking for what God is doing and asking how we can be a part of it. God is working all the time. Sometimes we see it and sometimes we don't. But when we go looking for it, we see it all over the place. If we're not expecting it, if we're not looking for it, it goes right by us and we don't notice it. But when we're looking for it, you can see it all over the place. When you're listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit, he will tell you all kinds of things. 
because the Father is always inviting us into ministry with him, always inviting us to participate in the work that he's doing in this world. He delights to use us in his work. But we can only do it if we're listening. We can only act on our faith if we're looking and expecting for what God is is asking us to do. And if that kind of faith seems far from your grasp, just remember how Thomas and the other apostles started. In fear, behind closed, locked doors, because they were afraid that the same thing would happen to them that had happened to Jesus. That's where they started. That wasn't much. And yet they turned into men who would stand up to the high priest, who would rejoice at their beatings. Ultimately, we know that all of the apostles, except for John, died a martyr's death, preaching the name of Jesus. That is faith. And our faith should inspire passion, just like their faith inspired passion. It should cause us to walk out the doors of this church each week with eyes of expectation, looking for what God is doing and asking how we can be a part of it. Because our Father delights to have his children work with him. Now, if that kind of faith seems too far from your grasp, just remember how Thomas and the other apostles started. They were scared. And they were locked behind a door in an upper room for fear of the Jews. Faith is a bit like a muscle, and it gets stronger the more you exercise it. Even the apostles themselves struggled with faith at times. There's one section of the Gospel of Luke in chapter 17 where the apostles come to the Lord and they say to Jesus, increase our faith. And that's a prayer that we can pray too. Increase our faith. There's a story of a a man who comes to Jesus with a child who's dying. And he says, Lord, heal my son. I believe. Help my unbelief. And that can be our prayer too. And what does Jesus say in response to these apostles? When they say, increase our faith. Jesus says, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed... You could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, who knows how big a mustard seed is? It's very tiny. And so what Jesus is saying is that even the smallest little bit of faith is something that can take root and grow into something much bigger. And so when we come to Jesus, we ask him for faith, and his faith is a gift to us. He plants the seeds of faith in our hearts so it can take root and grow. And just like the disciples, when we exercise that faith muscle, it does grow and grow and grow. But it can be a challenge to listen for the voice of Jesus at first. You might wonder if you're hearing Jesus correctly, if the things that you're hearing are actually the voice of God or something you ate for lunch. But the more you listen and the more you act on what you hear, the surer you become of your hearing in the first place, and the more willing you become to listen and obey in the future. That's how the exercise of faith works. We listen for the voice of God. We test it by action. 
We see if we were right in hearing the voice of God and then we try it all over again. We go to the Lord each and every day, listening quietly for his voice and then doing whatever he tells us. The collect of the day for today, and it's the collect for every second Sunday after Easter, along with the gospel uh, that talks about Thomas and his doubt, but also his faith. This is what it says to us. We ask God, grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. And that's my prayer for each one of you. That's my prayer for myself. That the things that we profess by our faith would be demonstrated in our lives. That we'd be passionate people, set apart for God, doing the Lord's work, ready to engage whatever he sends our way. So Lord, may it be so. And may you be glorified. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he died for us, but also that he rose to new life again. And we pray, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Increase our faith. Help us to have a faith even as the size of a grain of mustard seed. And we pray, Lord, that that root of faith, that seed of faith would take root in our hearts and that it would grow and grow and grow. Show us where you want us to go, Lord. And we will follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.